Well, good morning, everybody. It's a new month and a new sermon series. It doesn't always work like that. But as September begins, we begin a new sermon series called Hooked on Love. And this is uh, something I think that will be pertinent to all of us, uh, maybe even painful for a good many of us as we move through this series in the month of September. Thanks for being here, yay, even on Labor Day, as we begin this series called Hooked on Love. And the idea, of course, is that we're different places. We're all attempting to navigate the rough waters of love. For some of us, it's uh, what kind of bait do we use to lure someone in the boat? For others, it's uh, is it time to catch and release? Is it time to cut ties? Um, and for others, it's just, hey man, how can we make this thing work? And so this morning, we're going to sort of go sequentially. So this morning, we'll have a a real bent toward dating and relating in the formative stages. We want our church, we want the church to be a place where relationships are formed, where they flourish, and where they finish well. So this morning we're going to look a little bit at dating and relating as we talk about being hooked on love. So if you're single, woo-woo, all, this is really for all the beautiful single people. And this is for people uh, even like me, like some of you who uh, have kids and you'll be assisting them or you hope to be assisting them uh, in this area of love. You know, we're not doing well. Love, relating and dating, it dominates our thinking. But in many ways, we don't have a clue. Would, would you agree with that? We, we just don't have a clue. In many ways, dating today has become like used car sales. Uh, no offense to used car salesmen in the room. But it's just a time where, right, for many of us, we're just, we don't get it. We don't have a clue. And we think it's all about advertising what, what works and then hiding what doesn't work. Hey, I hear a clunk there in the engine. Hey, the stereo works great. Hey, there's that clunk in the engine. The AC is awesome. Right? We hide what's not working and then we advertise what we hope will sell the product. So we're clumsy and we're in many ways very clueless when it comes to, to dating and, relation, and relationships. I remember uh, one summer, in fact it was 22 years ago, a good friend of mine in Fort Collins, Colorado, we were in Durrell Center Cafeteria and a guy named Danny McKinney who's from Union Church, Mississippi. Anybody ever heard of Union Church, Mississippi? He was there and he had a cafeteria tray and a beautiful brunette by his side. But check this out. He was walking her toward me. And when he got to me, he said to her very loudly, he said, you need to meet this guy. And that was the point where Susan Mamarian from Palos Verdes, California, and I, the very moment that we met, and not long after that, it was a very magical moment, but not long after that, we had our very first date where I actually asked her out and took her out, and we were with a group. I always encourage people to date in groups, especially early on, and we drove to a place. We were going, there was many uh, parts to the date, and this part included uh, dr- uh, hitting golf balls at a driving range. I didn't tell her what all we were doing. She was wearing tall cowboy boots and a long skirt. But we drive there, and I remember we drove there, and we got out of the car. When I parked the car, beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, at a place called Horsetooth Canyon, just gorgeous scenery where the driving range was. And as I got out of the car, I just, you know, kind of walked toward the driving range. And it occurred to me, you know, and I just kind of backed up, backed up, you know. And as I, got, as I opened the door and got Susan, I just kind of did like this. I go, it, it's safe, it's safe, it's safe. Yeah, it's safe, it's safe. And is it dating like that? Like when you, when you make that early faux pas, you try to cover your tracks, right? You're really, truly trying to advertise who you are at its best. And you're really seeking to hide what isn't working. Since 1960, 
Uh, many of you know this. Since 1960, the divorce rate has more than doubled. If this was a virus or an infection, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention would probably tell us uh, that it is a catastrophic epidemic. In 1960, listen to this, probably what you don't know. In 1960, um, 70% of people in their 20s were married. 70%. Today, how many people do you suspect? What percentage of people in their 20s are married? Less than 20 the, yes, the latest statistics, this is true, I know you're going to fact check me, the latest statistics that I could find were from 2015, that's a couple years ago, but in 2015, the latest statistics corralled, it went this way, from the, from the ages 18 to 33, only 26% of America is married. In fact, this has been the first decade in American history where the majority of Americans spend most of their years single as opposed to married. Now you got to throw in separation, the divorce rate, and all of that. So love, don't you know? You do. Love dominates our thinking. But in so many ways, we just don't have a clue about it. I want to put up this phrase, and I want it to frame this morning. This is just a phrase from Romans chapter 12. There's a few of you who know me really well, and you know how I feel about Romans. You know how I feel about Romans chapter 12. And here in Romans chapter 12, it says this wonderful phrase, do not be conformed by this world. Do not be conformed by it. There's a translation that says, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. And I feel like in this area of relationships, there's probably no other area where you and I are getting squeezed into the mold of this world, where we are conforming. At the end of this sermon, in a bit, I'll share with you the last part of that verse in Romans uh, chapter 12. But it says this, do not be conformed to this world by this world. Do not let it squeeze you into its mold. But there's a formula. There's a formula in the world that you know about. I've been a part of it. You're a part of it. Have been a part of it. And there's four parts to it. I want to give it to you like this. The first one is this. When it comes to the formula for being hooked on love and in love and sustaining love, it's this, find. The first word is find. Find who? You know this. Find the right one. Find the right one. Sandra Bullock in the movie While You Were Sleeping. She finds the right one when he put... Um, when he got into the token booth in Chicago, but then he got mugged and pulled onto the train tracks and he was hospitalized because that's what happens when you get mugged and pulled onto the train tracks. So Sandra Bullock in the movie While You Were Sleeping, she goes to the hospital to see Mr. Wright and uh, lo and behold, she meets his brother who then becomes the new Mr. Wright. It seems like James Bond, you, any James Bond fans in the movie, in, in the congregation today, this, these movies are great. And James Bond, it seems that the Mrs. Wright for him is always the one trying to kill him in every single movie. Then there's Jennifer Lopez. Uh, in one movie, uh, Mr. Wright rescues her from being run over by a dumpster. In another movie, she's a maid cleaning a hotel room for Mr. Wright, and, but Mr. Wright's in the next room over, right? We're looking for Mr. Wright. Formula one in the sequence of the world is find Mr. Wright. Now hear me. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22 says this, a joyous verse for some, a painful verse for many others. But Proverbs 18, 22 says, he that findeth, I'm dropping some King James, never do that. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing 
for his life. Now, there's a couple of principles there. Number one, a godly wife is a blessing. Do some of you know that? A godly wife is a blessing. Number two, a guy ought to be looking. A person ought to be looking. Hear the phrase, he that findeth, that implies that he be looking. And it's important for us to be looking. But Hollywood's version, the world's formula on find, find Mr. and Mrs. Wright, is that it just happens magically, mysteriously, miraculously. But according to Scripture, there's something intentional about it. Young fellas, I want to say to you, young single men, don't just be hanging out. Be asking out. Listen, Amen. Listen to me for just a second. We can do that on Labor Day Sunday here. But listen to me for just a second. I'm going to say it again. Don't just be hanging out. Be asking out. Look at me, fellas. I'm right here. Look at me. Put on a shirt with buttons. One that doesn't say Star Wars. Bathe. Shave. Use hair products if necessary. And ask her out. Why? Because Scripture says it. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing for his life. He be looking. Are you looking? But it is not mysterious and magical and miraculous. Hear me, it is intentional and it could be slow and steady. But according to the world's formula, you are supposed to find Mr. Wright. Now, that's not what Proverbs 18 says, by the way. It says a wife. But the whole Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright is really, uh, I think in more ways than not, a myth. But the first formula is find. Find Mr. Wright. The second formula, you know where I'm going, it's fall. Now, what happens when you fall in love? Just nod your head, okay, if you're free today. Just nod your head if you have fallen in love before. Some of you got to be real careful based on who you're sitting around, right? But nod your head. You have fallen in love. Now, what has happened when you have fallen in love? It's, if it's legit, then there has been mood-elevating endorphins that have been released into your bloodstream. Dopamine has triggered the pleasure center in your brain. Emotions get supercharged. There is intense infatuation when it comes to love, when it comes to falling in love. There is that thing that happens, right? Leonardo DiCaprio just donated $1 million to, to the hurricane relief efforts in Houston. And I can't think, but it helped, you know, for him, it happens to go back to Titanic when he made so much of that money. And he was on a boat, right? There was water all around him, right? He's just sympathetic. But in that movie, he fell in love. He fell in love hard. He fell in love fast. And some Christian friends that I went to see the movie with way back in 1997 were critical of that whole idea. And here's what I would say to you. We're going to get into Song of Solomon. And as we get deeper into the month of September, we'll give you a, a heads up when we get to those places for mature audiences. But look, there is a magic factor to love. Do you know that? God doesn't have his head in the sand. God created this. He created the endorphins. He created the dopamine. He created the pleasure and the nerve centers. His head is not in the sand. There is a magic to this. But we, we find the person and then we fall for them. But what happens when emotions get supercharged? What happens when there's intense infatuation? Does it, everybody know? It wanes. It fades. Now, some scientists, probably social scientists, psychologists, have studied this. And based on my study this week, the best estimates are this, that that kind of intense, intense infatuation and supercharged emotion, as glorious as it can be, can last at best 6 to 18 months. But inevitably, it wanes. 
it fades. And then there's this idea, well, the emotions have faded, so dot, 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 the love is dying. And that can, in so many ways, be the absolute wrong conclusion. One writer talks about three kinds of love. In a a way, they are, this is a modern version, but in a way it parallels the Greek language of the New Testament, eros and phileo uh, and agape. But he calls uh, one type of love a spark love. That's what we're talking about. It's falling in love when things are, infatuation is really intense. It's the early stages of romance when that person dominates your thinking. They they dominate your thinking. They dominate your life. You've fallen in love, that spark love. But then there's a love that this writer calls a substantive love. It's when you realize beyond the emotion of it all, beyond the physicality, uh, the magic, the attraction there, that there's some substance. You and that person share similar values. You have uh, temperaments and attitudes that seem to be compatible. You can sit down and you can have some substantive conversation. So beyond spark, there's substantive type of love. It's very significant. But then the third he, he calls sacrificial love. And that's when you've been with someone long enough and you've been through enough. And you get to a place where you say, hey, these feelings are going to come and go. The substance, sometimes it'll be there. Sometimes it'll seem very normal and monotonous and shallow. But hey, this person that I'm with, they are sacrificing for me. And I, I want to sacrifice for them. And that kind of love, if you get to that place where two people are sacrificing for each other, that's the kind of love that could last. That's the kind of love that can move toward that deep Greek agape love that the New Testament is full of. So we, the first word of the world's formula for being hooked on love is to find. Secondly, um, it's to fall. And thirdly, it's this, it's the word fixate. This person, I mean, I have fallen for them, so I am going to, I mean, they are going to be the object of my desire. And they are dominating my feelings and my schedule and my budget, Right? They are dominating my life, and so I'm just going to go down that road, and I'm going to fixate on them. Because, you know, this person, he's better than the last one. This person, she's a lot better than she was, and she was, and she was. And so what, what are they going to do? Because the feelings are so strong, because it feels so good, because I have fallen, and I feel that I have fallen. I'm going to fixate on them, and they're, you know, I've been lonely, but they're going to end that. I've been broken. In fact, I've been beaten up by my last relationship, but he is going to end that brokenness that I feel. You know, I'm sad a lot, very melancholy. They're going to ensure that I'm happy. They are going to give my life meaning. They're the missing part. So we find them, and then we fall for them, and then we fixate on them. And the fourth step is this. It is when you experience failure, repeat steps one through three. Now, some of you are laughing, and that's okay. It's a good thing. But it's painful, isn't it? To be in a vicious cycle. To have love, to quote Shakespeare. We don't do that much around here, but to have unrequited love. To be on that end of rejection. To have to get back into the cycle. Because very few people get back into the cycle, steps one, two, and three, with greater resolve and greater happiness. And the wounds can be gaping for so many. 
Ephesians chapter 5, if you have time, turn there. Before we put it on the screen, I'm going to give you a few moments. A lot of you love to have an open Bible in front of you. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at just two verses. And I'm going to give you a different formula for being hooked on love. We, of course, will contrast this directly with the world's formula for love. And I know formula is a funny word for some of us. I'll, I'll address that at the end of the message in just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 5, y'all ready, some of you? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2 uh, in the ESV. Therefore, let me stop there, because Ephesians is this letter written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. And though it's uh, what we would consider, you know, a culture way back then, it was in a cosmopolitan urban city. It was in a place where a lot of things were happening and Christianity was taking root and was beginning to really grow. And the first three chapters, Paul does... What I, I just love this. It's, it's reflected in many New Testament letters. But Paul, he takes the first three chapters of Ephesians to tell them what Jesus has done for them. Here is what Christ has done for you. And then the last four, three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are how we ought to live because of what Christ has done for us. Do you think that order is important? You know, I think we, I think we miss it. I, I think we miss it and we miss the essence of the gospel. We think, well, I need to modify my behavior. I need to change things from the outside in. I need to start doing these good things and maybe I'll stumble and maybe I'll earn it, God's love, his approval. But Paul takes the time in, in Ephesians to say, here's what Jesus has done for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But he has chosen you. He's predestined you. We won't tackle that this morning. He's called you. You are his beloved. He's forgiven you. Here are the things that he's done. You, we are his workmanship. You are God's work of art. Parents, you put artwork from your children up on the refrigerator, right? It ain't that good, right? But you put it on the refrigerator and you make them think that you think it's that good, right? And you don't so much love the artwork, you love your children, and in a way, God is that way. God, we're his artwork. And God is saying, hey, there's a lot of work. You are immature. You've got to grow. But we, Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship created unto Christ Jesus to do good work. So walk in them. You are created by the artist to reflect his beauty. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 to 2. I didn't mean to say any of that. Here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God. That's the therefore. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So let's see the formula from Scripture is different than the formula you get in the word, in the world. The formula here, the first one I want to say to you is this. Become, it's about becoming the right one. Now it's somewhat cliche. If you've been in the church or certainly been in a small group or class, you've probably circled up with some people and you've probably heard that before. Maybe some of you ad nauseum. Don't worry about finding the right one. Focus on becoming the right person. But here we have it straight from Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God. Who are you becoming? What's the goal? What's the goal of our church? Well, it's to have two services or move to three services or fill the balcony or, you know, not have low attendance on Labor Day or it's to get this many people in groups or to do this or have our giving at this or have these activities or send this many people to, to world missions and global missions. It's to fill the trailer for Hurricane Harvey relief by, by tomorrow. What's the goal of a church? There are many sub-goals or objectives that we have, but what's, what's the goal? According to Scripture, we are to be conformed to the image of the Son. We are to make disciples. We are to become followers of Jesus and seek 
to turn others into followers of Jesus. And Paul says to them and now to us, be imitators of God. We need to focus, instead of finding the right person, we need to focus on becoming the right person. If you're single and dating or single and not dating, or you're like me and you may be helping a few younger people one day navigate dating and relating in marriage, I want you to be a note taker for these next few minutes. If you don't have a notepad, I I can't see. Just pretend that you're taking notes. I'll feel much better and preach faster. Here's the thing. When it comes to When it comes to becoming the right person, you need to become, and even look for this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 4 says this, you need someone who has faith in Christ. Do we have that passage up? We're frozen up there. Should we sing frozen while we wait? It says, any help, any hope? I'll wait for a second. There's a familiar passage. I'll quote the essence of it. It says, do not be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked. Now, here's what I want to say to you. I've I've done some some reading and some study this week when it comes to relationships, as you could imagine, with this month of September, this sermon series. Uh, There it is. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. How clear is that? For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship or what fellowship can light have uh, with darkness. That passage there is really very important. It's really important for us, and I would encourage all of you who have faith in Christ to think about that. And if you don't have faith in Christ, I would encourage you to understand Him and His love for you. But think. Think about your future children. And think about how selfish it can be for you to enter into this type of relationship. Now, believers are kind of funny. We, we did a series last month called The Meaning of the Bible. And I got to hear from a lot of you about this. And we addressed some things in Scripture as we delved into what is the Bible about? Who's it from? And what can it do uh, in our lives? And we tackled uh, kind of along the way, we wove in some controversial subjects. And can I say to you that this has nothing to do with race? This has nothing, the Bible does not forbid interracial marriage. Can I just say that? It has nothing to do with, in fact, there are examples, let me, there are are examples in the Bible of interracial dating and interracial marriage. Okay, we start from the beginning, Moses, all right? This is faith. This is faith. It's belief. It's do you share that? And this is really important. So when it comes to becoming the right person, I want everybody to think about, number one, faith in Christ And number two, character. What type of person are you becoming? And of course, as you're becoming something, you're going to look around, look over, and and ask what type of person are they becoming? So note takers, especially our beautiful single people, think about this. How do they relate to other people? The waitress, the pizza delivery person, their parents. Young ladies, look at me. How he relates to his mom and his dad is very important. I would watch that. I would see what the pattern is. That is massive. That is not a small thing. How does this person, as you're becoming the right person, you look over, how does this person, this potential person, how do they relate to others? Are they faithful? In their commitments as you desire to be and as you are growing in yours? Can they hold a job and keep a promise? 
What are their views and their practices as it relates to sexual purity? We'll go deeper in this in September and you'll be warned beforehand. But can I just say, that's important. What type of person are you becoming and what type of person are they becoming? I'm just going to get our feet wet just a little bit. Second Solomon um, chapter, or so- Song of Solomon, I'm sorry, chapter 2. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In this ancient yet beautiful poetic language, gazelles and does represent youthful vigor and physicality. And the idea here is hibernate, hide and hibernate until it's time to run. And when it's time to run, the Bible calls that marriage. When it's time to run, let it out of its cage and let it go wild in marriage. It's a gift from God. We'll get deeper into that in the month of September and you'll be warned before we do. Can you tell I haven't done that at times? I haven't warned and gotten in a little bit of trouble by some folks. Uh, They've left and gone to local eateries, coffee houses and stuff like that. Just stimulating the local economy here at Fondren. But Job 31.1. Look at this passage. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. There's a protective guard on the internet called Covenant Eyes. It's some of the young men I know. They've sealed it in their lives. And when they look at something pornographic, uh, it sends an email to one of their brothers. In an age of internet pornography and yoga pants everywhere, this is difficult but not impossible there is a blessing and let me just say this preaching you don't want my job but when you preach this in today's culture that's so saturated by physicality and sexuality it seems almost impossible and though it's tough God wants it in our lives to protect us and to provide for us and I believe even beyond that to release supernatural power in our lives supernatural power in our relationships especially that most important relationship in your life now or the that relationship that will be in your life later what is that person's view how are they living what is their practice when it comes to this area so how do they relate to others are they faithful in their commitments can they hold a job and keep a promise what is their view of sexuality and physicality can, can this person be trusted are they or, or are they growing in this area another area that I want to challenge you in the area of character is just with word does this person build up read the book of Proverbs read James chapter 3 it says that James 3 says we all stumble in many ways. It, the, the really mature among us are those who are learning. It's a process, right? They're learning to control their tongue. And in Proverbs 18, as it repeats in different language in James, the book of James, it says that there's power of life and death in the tongue. I want to say, I want to brag on a woman I brag about a good bit here. And that's my wife and the gift that God has given her. And as I began to look, is she faithful in her commitments? How does she relate to other people? What are her views on, <clears throat> in, on the area of purity? And what are, what, how does she practice this with uh, her tongue and her speech? And she builds me up. Romans chapter 14 tells us that we ought to seek peace with everybody and we ought to build, we ought to do and say the things that build up other people. Do you do that in life? Are you becoming that kind of person? Can't you tell when someone is for you? 
Do you, ever, do you have any relationships where it's the opposite, man? They come in the room and the plants die. There's just negativity. And like you're wondering, man, you, I mean, you really don't have to wonder, but they do enough good. They, they'll send you a note every so often or smile your way sometimes. But otherwise, you just don't know if they're for you. And you get a sense that when they're not with you, like they're saying something to you and then they're talking about you and there's this negativity, they're really not for you. And what a living hell if that is a marriage. And let me speak grace over some of you who need it. I'm learning that being a pastor is painful. I wouldn't trade it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going on a sabbatical. If you notice the guys that go on sabbatical, leave their church right after they get off sabbatical. So I'm not going to go on a sabbatical. I need a little bit more vacation time. But being a pastor <clears throat> can be so painful. And it's good to know that when I am frustrated by defeat or tempted by sin or just at a low place, that there is someone that will build me up. How important it is to speak life into someone and to know that you have someone who is for you. How powerful that is. If you're dating and you are dating someone who's critical and negative, can I just say to you, that is a red flag that could scream red alert. And so become the right person, faith in Christ and character. The second thing beyond come, becoming the right person is to walk in love. To walk in love. Now this, we contrast this from falling in love. You know the scripture says that we ought to run. It says that we're running a race and we ought to run a race to win and there's a prize and we, we run the race for the joy set before us. We lay aside the things that so easily entangle us. For those of you who've done marathons or, or long races, I've got a friend. They're not here today. He's in Colorado running 100 miles on a trail around Steamboat Springs. So the Bible, just a few times, just a few times says that we're running. But over and over and over again, the Bible says that we're walking. In fact, in the early chapter of the book of Genesis, it describes the original couple and it says they walked with God in the garden in the cool of day. In Deuteronomy, we are invited to walk in his ways and to fear him. In Micah 6, 8, it says, do justice, love, mercy, and what? Walk humbly with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that we walk by faith and not by sight. In Romans 8, it says we ought to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. In Ephesians 5, it says we ought to walk as wise, not as unwise. And here in this passage that we put on the screen that you opened up in front of you, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says that we are to walk in love. A steady embodiment, not a sporadic exercise. It's a walk in love. And can you see, can you feel me, some of you? That's different than falling in love. There's an intentionality to it. I need to hustle. The formula from Scripture we see in Ephesians 5 is become the right one, walk in love, and fixate on Christ. He made a sacrifice. There is this fragrant aroma. It ought to continue. I love the language there in Paul would say in a different letter, Colossians chapter 3, set your affections on things above. The goal of a marriage ought to be a lot of affection. And granted, there is fixation involved. But our ultimate fixation is setting our affections on things that are above. There's a force to this. You know what it is? 
it's exactly the same as the world's formula. You with me? Fail. Repeat steps one, two, and three. Because, because we do fail. And this morning in a moment we're going to open up the altar and a few of us will be down front. What a good morning. Let's not throw away Labor Day Sunday. Let's optimize and maximize these moments of worship. To say, Lord, I, I need to get out of the world's formula and into yours. And you see what we're doing here? It's not a formula for success. I, I tell people often, in our marriage of 21 years, there are ups and downs. Susan contributes to most of the ups. I contribute to pretty much all of the downs. It's really cool how we work that. Something I'm proud of. But there is failure. And there is grace. There is therefore now no more condemnation for those in Christ. If you've been rejected and condemned by someone and you are condemning yourself, can I tell you that Jesus does not? He does not. If you're young, I want to say to you, move from finding the right person and falling for them and fixating on them and then failing and repeating that to, to becoming the right person, an imitator of Jesus, faith in him, a growing character. Instead of falling in love, walking in love. Instead of fixating on one person, John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, says, men, men, don't find that girl and hold her hand in, you know, in the water of the beach at the ocean, hold her hands and look in her eyes and tell her how much you love her in a puppy dog sort of way. Pull her close to you, put your arm around her and point out there and tell her where you're going to take her. Tell her what your life is going to be about. Scan the horizon and trust God for something bigger than fleeting pleasures. When we just turn to someone and we say, ensure my happiness, heal my loneliness, end my brokenness, it fails every single time the universe you live in listen to me for a second big cosmological thing here but it's true the universe you live in you and I that we inhabit it's created in such a way that we're going to know turn after turn after turn that we are not created we're not created for this life I promised you in Romans 12, this passage that says, do not be conformed to the world, that we've been in there. Do not be conformed to the world. Does anybody know what it says after that? Extra credit on Labor Day Sunday. Do not, you got it, Deborah? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transferred by the renewing of your mind. I'll take you to lunch if you know the last part of that. So that, okay, I don't even know you, but we're going to lunch together. <laughs> You're buying, but we're going. First time here, second time, good. This is awkward for everybody. <laughs> Do not be conformed to this world, but be transferred by the renewal of your mind so that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Let me pray.